greatest symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production.
like, uh, like a whole lot more than what you attempted earlier. 500 pounds. We're going to try and get 20 plus reps right. out of this. Exactly. <laughs> if you say so. Here we go. This is an extraordinary feat by obviously an extraordinary athlete. You guys can count maybe along with the reps. down a bit. 18, 19. 19 and... 19! You gotta remember one thing now. This man's injured. He's got a bad back and a bad back. That was great! I know you can do it. I know you can. I know he can do it. You never let me down before. Congratulations. Buddy. 19 reps, 500 pounds, that is uh, unbelievable. Turn around, let's take a good look at this physique. <laughs> That's the warlord for you. Right now, let's take you to a matchup involving another individual with yet another extraordinary You know what's physique. amazing about this whole thing? What? That these people can count to 19. <laughs> Here we are now. Let's take you to action involving Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Couldn't make it to 20, could they? Hello and welcome to another edition of the Hogan Era Podcast. I'm your host, JP John Paz. Of course, this is on the TMPT feed, part of the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcasting empire each and every week here on the Hogan Era Podcast, talking about the greatest era ever in the history of the business, 1984 to 1993, the golden era of professional wrestling, the era that set it off, the era that made so much money. Vince McMahon is a billionaire today. And if you heard the news lately, maybe he's not the CEO, but he's still a billionaire and he's still in charge. He's still the puppet master behind the scenes. But if you think about what made Vince who he is, it has to be the immortal Hulk Hogan and everything that the Hulkster did for the WWF. 1984 to, excuse me, 1984 to 1993 was just a peak wrestling for me and for a lot of fans. And obviously, all kind of has to go around the Hulkster. I talk about this each and every week with Hulkster at the top of the mountain, the top of the heap. Everyone else falls into line right after that, and you go on and make a ton of money. But the Hulkster needs opponents. He needs top guys to wrestle. He needs guys that are going to draw money, and he needs competitors that he can make a lot of money with. So each and every week here, we're talking about some of the greatest feuds of the Hogan era, which includes Rowdy Roddy Piper, Andre the Giant, Macho Man Randy Savage, King Kong Bundy, Big John Studd, Kamala, One Man Gang, The Big Boss Mag, go on and on and on. Bad News Brown, Harley Race. I mean, we just keep going on and on and on. Just keep your eyes and your ears peeled out for a Hogan era project that I'm currently working on. I actually have concluded my list. I'm going about 100 matches deep. And it's going to be all about the greatest matches of the Hogan era, 1984 to 1993, obviously. But every match has the Hulkster in it. So every one of Hulk's greatest matches from this time period of working on that project now. It might take you a while. Hopefully it doesn't, but I'm working on that right now. Put it this way. I have watched so many Hogan matches, seen so many Hogan matches, have been sent 
so many Hogan matches. My buddy David sent me a, a ton of unreleased stuff that I had, hadn't seen before or wasn't even aware of. Um, the other day he sent me Hogan and Macho Man in 92 against Berserker and Jake the Snakes. I was like, holy crap, I've never seen this before. I never even heard of this match before. I was looking up match listings. No one even had uh, the, the match listed anymore. So crazy, crazy stuff. Um, so hopefully, maybe that makes the list. We'll see. It might not, but I have about 100 matches so far. I have 25 matches that are basically honorable mentions. So 125 matches, plus I have a ton more that I'm thinking about either adding or subtracting. So, I mean, it, it could get pretty good on the list. But as far as today's topic and today's feud, if you will, last week you we talked about the Barbarian. And this week, it's all about the Warlord. The Warlord, obviously debuted in the WWF uh, as part of the Powers of Pain with Barbarian. Talked about that a lot last week. He debuted in 1986, trained by the legendary Eddie Sharkey. But as far as the Hogan era and what we're concerned with here, yes, the Warlord and Barbarian kind of made a name for themselves in JCP and in the NWA, feuding with the Road Warriors. You know, a lot of people say they were Road Warriors light, although they might have been bigger and stronger somehow, which is insane to think about or say, but they they might have been. They were just two beasts, and especially Warlord. I mean, he was just an absolute animal. And if you think about Warlord's career and like, oh, did, you know, who do you influence? Dave Batista, big time, a star, WB, a legend, former multiple-time world champion, future Hall of Famer, of course. Drax in the Guardians of the Galaxy series for Marvel. He said well, Warlord was his favorite wrestler of all time. So, you know, definitely um, Warlord left a good impression on him and a lot of others. But when they first got to their uh, the Powers of Pain to the WWF, they were pretty much embroiled in, in a bit of a feud with the Demolition right away. And I talked about this last week. I mean, they first match was a, vic- a count-out victory in June, June 18th, 1988, over the Tag Team Champions demolition so i mean it was just like wow like what a you know what a great start to their run and a great start to their career that that they're already you know in in the tag title hunt already you know moving up up the uh, the ranks and they really if you think about it they rarely ever lost and i talked about that last week a lot they had a ton of victories a lot of wins they were feuding with demolition and not losing so they look really strong at any time that they were having, you know, big time matches on TV, they were getting wins. And of course the Bolsheviks, Boris Zukov and Nikolai Volkov were really kind of outside of demolition. The first like major feud where they were getting big victories that obviously powers of pain defeated them at WrestleFest 88, which is a great show. If anybody hasn't seen that definitely do double main event is Hogan, Andre in the cage and uh, Savage versus DiBiase for the title. So definitely go out of your way to see that. Um, they had the Bolsheviks match on the Prism channel in Philly, PA. They had that match on the Z channel in Los Angeles. It's great to have these sports channels, too, because as I was kind of talking about a little bit with the Hogan era uh, book and the matches that I'm trying to work on in this Hogan era project, I was like, wow, thank God they have these sports channels, because if these were just house shows and we weren't able to see these matches, you know, that would cut the list in half. And that, you know, that would suck for me as a fan and suck for so many other fans. You don't get to see these great matches. You had to go there live and see it in the building. But I just thought it was so awesome that we have the Z channel, Nesson, MSG, and Prism, that you have all these awesome Hogan matches and they're readily available and you can watch them. You can watch them on YouTube. I have a lot of old DVDs and old VHS tapes. 
and, and from tape trading that have these matches on there. They're on a lot of the new DVDs, some of the Hogan unreleased DVDs and, and the Hogan anthology set and the Macho Man unreleased. So there is some cool matches out there that they are putting out. I wish it was on the network. I wish it was on Peacock, but a lot of them aren't, unfortunately, but they all should be. They have the footage and it is easily readily available. SummerSlam 88, also of the Powers of Pain, defeated the Bolsheviks in about five minutes and 30 seconds. Of course, that was in Madison Square Garden, just showing their dominance. Obviously, they're baby faces at this point. By the time Survivor Series rolls around, and I did mention this last week as well, one of the greatest double turns ever in the history of the business. The Warlord and Barbarian turn heel and join up with Mr. Fuji and Demolition turns babyface. That was Survivor Series 88, 11 88 from Richfield Coliseum in Richfield, Ohio, very, very memorable stuff as the Powers of Pain defeated the Conquistadors to win that match. The match went 40 minutes. It's an awesome one. It is a 10-team elimination match. It is awesome. Go out of your way to see that one. I love Survivor Series 88. I love the whole card, especially that match and especially the main event. So as we roll around and that feud continues with the roles reversed, Demolition as baby faces and Powers of Pain as heels, there's a lot of double DQs and DQs and countouts mostly double DQs on the big shows like the MSG shows and the different big-time arenas all around this great universe. Even when they go to Philly and it's on the Prism Network, they'll do a double DQ there. They're really trying to keep Warlord and Barbarian as strong as possible as they head into the big match at WrestleMania, which was, of course, the Mega Powers exploding. Demolition would defeat Mr. Fuji and the Powers of Pain about eight minutes to retain the tag team title in a two-on-three handicap match. Of course, that was in Trump Plaza, Atlantic City, New Jersey, 4-2-1989. The crazy thing about that is, like, did they really even need Fuji in the match? Maybe to keep them strong and to take the loss, but I really don't think he was needed. Kind of hampered the match. It would have been a lot better without him, um, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. After that, they do spend a considerable amount of time singles we talked about last week barbarian kind of do his own singles thing then the warlord breaks off and does his own singles thing as he has a ton of victories over coke beware and jim the anvil nightheart all through house shows and even on the nesson network also then bret hart and warlord are exchanging victories back and forth in kansas city and springfield and you know he just continues and continues on wrestling but also, in the middle of that, they are keeping the powers of pain together because they're taking tag team losses to the Hart Foundations by DQ and by Countout in Long Island, in Ontario, in Providence, and in Flint, Michigan. So they're kind of keeping the team together, but they are testing the waters with both guys being singles competitors and going on singles runs. They are having a little bit of a mini feud with the Bushwhackers. They are, you know, defeating a bunch of jobber tag teams on superstars and wrestling challenge. And they're really, you know, just really still solidifying themselves as top guys as far as a great tag team. Man, what a great tag team division they had in this era. Maybe the greatest tag team division of all time, if you just think about all the teams that were in place. So really the first time Hogan and Warlord are in the ring together, Royal Rumble 1989. Very memorable exit for the Warlord in that one. Big John Studd gets the victory in that one. And obviously, Hogan is eliminated by the Twin Towers. That's at the Summit in Houston, Texas, 1-15-1989. That's really the first time they're in together. Then Survivor Series 89, 11-23-89. The Hulkamaniacs, Axe Smash, Hulk, and Jake the Snake Roberts. Awesome team. Maybe the greatest Survivor Series team of all time. Maybe. Defeated the Million Dollar Team, Ted DiBiase, Zeus. 
the Warlord, and the Barbarian, Rosemont Horizon, Rosemont, Illinois. That match went 27 minutes, 30 seconds. Then, of course, Royal Rumble 1990, Hulk and the Warlord are in the same match together. Hulk gets the victory here, and he eliminates Mr. Perfect last. Orlando Arena in Orlando, Florida. That was on 121-1990. Then in March of 1990, there is three tag matches in a row. Miami, Florida, Hershey, PA, and Philadelphia, PA. 319, 325, and then again 325 later on in the evening. Hulk Hogan and the Big Boss Man defeat the Powers of Pain, the Warlord, and the Barbarian. All main event show, all main events except for that that last one there, which was kind of the intermission main event. And then they went to Philly after they went to Hershey, PA, and they did the inter, they did the main event. So if you think about what's going on here with these shows. And Warlord and Barbarian, yes, they are testing the waters of separating them. And by 1990, a little bit after that match, they're really going to start testing that waters as they're going to separate them. And eventually, Warlord is going to go off on his own. It's pretty cool that when they split in, in late March of 1990, that they did like the selling of the contract. If you remember, Mr. Fuji sells Barbarian's contract, Bob the Brain Heenan. I love it because it's like a sport, a little bit of a sports tie-in. Then... Slick buys Warlord's contract from Bobby the Brain Heenan, and Warlord receives an entire change. His attire completely changes. He abandons that Road Warrior look. No more like Mohawk or Reverse Mohawk, whatever you want to say. That style is gone. The face paint is gone. And instead, he's completely shaved. He's got a completely bald head. He's got a cool silver metallic cyborg style almost Phantom of the Opera-like half-mask, and he has this really cool black armor. He almost looks like a, a gigantic supervillain, like he'd be a part of He-Man or something. Really, really cool stuff. I love that. I love the look of those. So cool. Larger-than-life kind of stuff. He was also having a big metal staff, and on that metal staff was a big W. He used to bring that to all the matches. Obviously, sometimes would use it as a weapon on occasion, but I just thought that was so cool because, again, that big W, it kind of signifies, like, oh, this guy's like a big monster heel. It's the big monster villain. Really, really like that. Really kind of cool stuff. Really cool look. He would then, of course, go on to have a big-time feud with the British Bulldog culminating in, in their match at WrestleMania 7. Before that, though, I want to mention Survivor Series 1990. Just go back for a second. So they had the ultimate match of survival, the survivor, excuse me, survival of all survivors. Five on three handicap matches, heels versus faces. Hartford Civic Center, Hartford, Connecticut, 11 22 1990. Hogan, the Warrior, and Tito Santana defeats Hercules, Paul Roma, Rick Martel, Ted DiBiase, and the aforementioned Warlord in nine minutes. Of course, Tito gets eliminated and Hogan and Warrior end up winning. And we all know kind of what happens from there. But like I mentioned, Warlord would eventually go on to feud with the legendary British Bulldog. But before that, 119, 1991, Hogan and Warlord would cross pants again. And Royal Rumble 1991 from Miami Arena, Miami, Florida. Hogan, of course, gets the big rook through there, eliminates Earthquake. Last, they would also be in the infamous Saturday Night's Main Event number 29, 20-man Battle Royal from Omaha, Nebraska at the Omaha Civic Auditorium for 15-1991 as Mr. Perfect got the victory there. And then here it is, the one and only one-on-one -on -one match between Warlord and the Hulkster. Hulk Hogan defeats the Warlord at a house show Nassau Coliseum in Nassau, Long Island, New York, 8-2-1991. The thing is here about this and, and why I talked about last week, how there's more meat on the bone for Hogan and Warlord, 
have interviewed Warlord before. There's other interviews out there that have stated the same thing. He was promised, and I'm sure a ton of guys were promised, or everybody was promised, big-time feuds with Hulk Hogan. And with his look and his appeal and his size and his just natural charisma, Warlord just seemed like a perfect opponent for Hogan, a guy that, that you would fear that Hogan would lose to, a huge heel. He fits right in there with the rest of them, and it just didn't culminate. Even Hogan, Richard Land, who's a great historian, posted it on Twitter. I, I couldn't find the actual promo itself, but he posted it on Twitter if you want to go to his Twitter account and watch that. Hogan really, really puts over Warlord Strong in a promo for this match, and it's one of the local promos that they always did, but he was like basically saying, Oh, I don't know if I could beat this guy. He's such a big monster. I sense that he's going to be, you know, the, the future um, of the WWF as far as being his big heel. So Hogan really, really went out of his way to really put him over strong on the promo. But this is the only one-on-one match. It didn't lead to a big feud. It didn't lead to a big world title program for the Wardlow. It wasn't even on TV. Like I said, it was just at a house show in Nassau Coliseum in Long Island. So it's one of those things where Hogan – Seemed like by this promo, thought they were going in the Warlord direction. Warlord was told they were going in the Hogan direction. Not that he was going to win the world title, but that he was going to be a challenger and maybe work a TV program, maybe even a pay-per-view program with him, which I would have bought just because Warlord looks great and Slick is such an awesome manager. But never came to be, never came to fruition. And then really the next time they were in the ring together was Royal Rumble 92, every man for himself, Knickerbocker Arena, Albany, New York, won in 1992. Ric Flair wins the vacated world title and Hogan and Warlord both get eliminated in that one. Obviously, uh, very infamously, Hogan gets eliminated by Sid. Speaking of Sid, the next and last time that Warlord and Hogan are in the ring together is a 20-man battle royal won by Sid Justice at MSG and the MSG Network 2-3-1992. Sid wins the big battle royal. That's the last time Hogan and Warlord were in the ring together, but there was supposed to be a big feud between those two. After that, basically, Warlord is on his way out. He defeats Chris Walker on the MSG show, 2 um, as well. And that was a part of the same night with the Battle Royal. But that match went 11 minutes, shockingly. He would get a bunch of victories over Chris Walker on a ton of house shows just in a row as he's kind of headed towards the door. He fights Crush to a double count out. He then d- destroys Jim Brunzel. Not real, actually, not really destroyed. I mean, it was a good match, but he he gets the win. He's pretty dominant on the MSG network uh, the next month in March. And surprisingly, Jim Brunsell's still there in 1992. But Warlord gets the victory there. And then you can kind of see as it goes on, the writing's kind of on the wall as Halus to Tatanka in a house show. And then they make this big European tour. And about seven or eight nights in a row, Virgil, of all people, is beating the Warlord. And on the last rampage again tour european tour from west midlands england virgil defeats warlord in nine minutes so his last match is for 1892 and it is a loss to virgil shockingly that's pretty i don't know pretty remarkable that uh you know he loses to virgil anyway just just almost hard to believe but that was his last series of matches, and I guess you could say the writing's on the wall. You start losing the Virgil, you know that you're pretty much uh, headed for the exit. But uh, good stuff there from Warlord. I feel like his run could have been bigger, could have been better, especially as far as the feud with Hogan. He had the look. He had the size. He had it all. I just love that he looked like this gigantic super villain. He was just 
just a huge, huge guy. Great guy. Chris Jericho often talked about his influence on his eating habits and how to eat and how to eat right and what to do on the road. So really cool that Warlord kind of took some guys under his wing. I did an interview with him. You can check it in the TMPT archives with him a few years ago. I'm trying to remember when. I think it was two years ago. Really good stuff. Love getting him on. Love chatting about the gimmick, what he kind of thought about it, where he thought he was going to be, where he thought his run was going to be as far as against the Hulkster. What could have been, again, like we talked about this before on the show, what could have been, you never know why they didn't head in that direction, but it almost seemed like, I don't know, the writing was on the wall for Warlord's exit as they were getting rid of like a lot of the quote-unquote steroid guys or like the big guys or the, the big muscular guys. It seemed like they were all kind of headed out at the same time as Vince was in a lot of trouble like he is again, you know, wearing that neck brace, dealing with the with the government. So we'll see what happens this time around for Vince. But let's head towards the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Two Man Power Trip. Check out the website tmptempire.com and of course Patreon, Patreon.com/tmptempire. Please be on the lookout for a big Hogan era project coming soon. Not so soon, like right around the corner, but it'll be out there. More details to come. And please, if you could, I implore you to check out the interview I just did with Woo, the Nature Boy Rick Flair. That's now dropped on the TMPT feed. Very special feature interview episode. Great stuff talking about his legacy, his life, his regrets, his top opponents, his last match, whose opponents might be Dusty Rhodes, Harley Race, Ricky Steamboat, Sting, Hulk Hogan, Vader. We talk about them all. Awesome stuff from the Nature Boy. Thank you, everybody out there for listening. We'll see you right back here next week for a little Hogan Era podcast. We'll see you this has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You could follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You could check us out on Facebook. You could subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip where the power lies brother.
million dollar man Ted DiBiase with the lovely sensational Sherry. Tag team specialist The Rockers will be here. Marty Jannetty, Shawn Michaels. And the big guy, I like him, six foot eight, the berserker. Former Intercontinental Champion, Texas Tornado. That and a whole lot more. Here we go. when he gets into somebody's pocket. You know, they should put the hitman's head in the ring cycle and get all that grease out. The hitman looking good. Oh, he's a fine technician. There's no doubt about that, but when you talk about strength and power, I mean, he's got the warlord now. I mean, he's outmatched. Uh-oh, some youngster's gonna get a nice gift here. Uh, a pretty young lady that is absolutely ecstatic. Too bad he don't have a couple of those. You could hide the whole face. I knew you'd have something derogatory to say. You know, just a couple weeks back on my show, Primetime, I had the Warlord on and Slick. And the Warlord had a bad chest and a bad back. And a bad attitude. Oh, a very bad attitude. And he still bench-pressed over 500 pounds 19 times. 19 consecutive reps. And the only reason he quit was because Slick told him he didn't want to damage any part of his body. 19 times. Don't you know you can't move You believe that, Anvil? Yes, I do. This guy, uh, Warlord, is a very, very strong man. No question about that. 19 reps with 500 pounds? Over 500 pounds. Don't you watch primetime? Yes, I watch primetime. Well, then you know. I'm not going to ask you, Monsoon, because I know you're always up with Jack Tunney. You're too busy to do. There's the agility on Bret Hart. Quite fun things. Fun things? Watching primetime's fun. Oh, nice maneuver by the hitman. That's why they call him the excellence of execution. Yeah. Give one to the stomach, hitman. Yeah. Well, he had a great opportunity there. He had the big guy down on the canvas, and that's where he should have kept him, Anvil. Now he's in trouble. Is he biting him? Yeah. Sort of a late lunch. We are getting ever so closer to the date of Monday night, June 3rd, two weeks from this Monday night in Madison Square Garden. The WWF returns, and of course, unconditional surrender. That is the only way victory can be attained for either Sergeant Slaughter or WWF champion Hulk Hogan. There are no rules in the main event, the Desert Storm match for the title on Monday night, June 3rd in Madison Square Garden. He's a piece of meat. Warlord, very methodical in his style of attack. Look at this power display. We're all the way to Calgary. 
Not too many guys have survived the dungeon in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. You can say that again. That's a miserable place. Canada, you're right. right. The hitman did, in fact, do that. He's a survivor. Oh, he spent, spent five, six, seven, eight years with Nyhart. <laughs> I mean, no offense. We did have our moments. <laughs> nice reversal, but Warlord with that power just turned it around once again. Hitman right now realizing what kind of power he's having to deal with here. Now, as quick as Bret Hart is, you think he'd use that to his advantage. You think he'd be buzzing around the Warlord, but no, he's trying to take it to him. He's not going to recover here. Oof. Don't count the Hitman out just yet. Uh-oh, nobody home on that one. The Hitman should roll out, get on that floor, get, shake the cobwebs loose, find out where he's at. Take it out, brother. Come on. There we go. Downstairs in the breadbasket goes the Hitman. Might be the only weak spot on this big guy. Big run, half right. And another one. Give it to him, Hitman. Look out, rams him head first into the top turnbuckle. Going up to the second rope on the inside. The Hitman unloading. Yeah, pepper the top of that ball, Dad. I think the big guy got his wake-up call. Hello. He still hasn't knocked him down. Well, he did that. Well, I say, he's just about ready to knock him down. Hitman, Hitman second. There's that patented elbow. Right in the throat. Not going to beat him like that, though, Andrew. Too big a guy just to lay across and expect to hold him down. Irish whip, no reversal once again by the Warlord. There's that quickness. Yeah. Roseline City. Slickster didn't like that. Ooh, that was close. That was close. You're right, Slick. You got a gripe there. You tell him. Look at that, Brain. Some of your tactics right there, baby. Yeah, a lot of people copied a lot of things from the Brain. Pendulum has swung a half a dozen times already in this one. And right now it's in the favor of the Hitman. Yeah. Notice the acceleration Brett has in all his moves. What? Oh, look at that. Oh, from the outside. Slicks to reach it up with that cane. Clobbering the hitman. You had him doing it Yeah. Oh, now he's going to get clobbered. I have to move more like it. Hey, that baby hitman. Uh-oh, he's got the cane now. There we go. Rams it right into the stool. Across the back. That's it. Ring the bell. Go get him, Brett. I believe we've had a disqualification here. Should be a disqualification on the Slickster, Anvil. Absolutely right, Monsoon. Well, now you don't know why Slickster did what he did. Yeah, because he was worried about his man getting beat. Let's find out. Ladies and gentlemen, the referee's official decision, he has disqualified both men. Therefore, a double disqualification. Well... Disqualification. But whoever initiates it, that's the one who should be disqualified, and that's the one who should go home with a short end of the month.